0: Hello, and welcome to the History of the Goths. The winds of time blow quickly, and decisive moments in history go by just as fast. Fridegrin's Goths stood in the Balkans, well armed but with nowhere to go, and two large Roman armies were on the warpath headed straight for them. One from the west, under the western Roman Emperor Gratian, and one from the east, commanded by the eastern Emperor Valens. Though as always, the Goths' luck proved powerful and timely. As Gratian's army prepared to leave the Roman province of Gaul in the west for the Balkans, a Germanic auxiliary, on leave in Germania, spilled the beans that the western Roman army would be marching east to the Balkans. This went up the chain of command of the Germanic tribe of the Alemanni, who then decided to launch a massive raid on the Roman West once Gratian's army had begun to move. So in the winter of 377-378, after Gratian's army left the West and was about to enter the Balkans, he received an urgent message from the few border guards left on the Rhine, saying that a large Germanic force had crossed the river and was wreaking havoc across Gaul. Upon reading the letter, Gratian jumped to his feet, scrambled to turn his army around, and began marching back to Gaul. You may be asking why Gratian turned around instead of staying the course to help his co-emperor in a timely manner before going to face the Alemannian Gaul. Well, it's because Gaul was one of the most important provinces of the Western Emperor, and the Balkans, especially Thrace, were part of the Eastern Emperor's domain, and thus less important to Gratian. Not that he didn't want to help Valens, but the best way to put this is that it was a your own oxygen mask on before helping someone else. Situation. In his wake, Gratian left a measly force at the mountain range that separated the western and eastern halves of the empire, known as the Gate of Trajan. This group was positioned to stop the Goths from breaking into the western Balkans. Due to supply issues, Fritigern had to dissolve his greater coalition into smaller groups. These groups then scattered across the lands from Lower Thrace up to the Danube, pillaging what they could. A strange situation of an enemy existing within Roman territory pervaded for a few months, while the Romans prepared their forces for retaliatory action. Eventually, in May of 378, Valens and his army crossed into Europe from Asia Minor and reached Constantinople. At the same time, Valens' co-emperor, Gratian, had returned to Gaul and scored a huge victory over the Alemanni. With Gaul secure, Gratian could turn his attention back east toward Thrace. Once again, a Western Roman army was on the march toward the Goths. One of Valens' generals had also won a minor victory over a subgroup of Fritigerns Goths near Adrianople. These events contributed to high Roman morale, and now the top thing on the agenda for both Roman emperors was crushing Fritigerns Goths. With the war clouds forming again, Fritigerns sighed and recalled his scattered Gothic bands to reform the larger army. He chose as the reconsolidation point the city of Kabyl, near Baroe. In July 378, Thalens marched his army north to Kabyl to confront Fritigern, only to find the Gothic army gone. Around this place, the Goths under Keneva had won a savage battle against the Romans over a century and a quarter before. A few months after said battle, the Goths even killed the Roman emperor, Decius, if you will recall. Barbarian injuries against Rome like this were what Valens intended to pay back to Fritigern. There would not be peace until Valens stood triumphantly over a battlefield littered with Gothic corpses. In Kabyl, Valens received new information. His co-emperor had recently crossed into the eastern Balkans and would be at his relief soon. Not only that, but his scouts had tracked down Fritigern and his army, who were heading to a small city near Adrianople. In his message to Valens, Gratian asked his co-emperor to wait and to not engage Thredegren's Goths in battle until he arrived and the two Roman emperors could fight together. Now Valens was troubled and unwilling to take heed of his co-emperor's wishes. The great victory of Gratian over the Alamanni had left Valens feeling upstaged, especially as he was the more senior emperor of the two. Valens was forty-nine at the time, while Gratian was only nineteen, His scouts had also reported to him that the band of Goths under Fritigern that was near Adrianople was only 10,000 in number, and so the envious emperor sallied his legions and began a march south in pursuit of Fritigern. Fritigern knew only too well how poor the situation was. If he lost a battle against Valens, then it would spell the end of his people's existence, and so he sent a Gothic priest to negotiate peace terms with Valens based on Fritigern's Goths becoming federates and their settlement in the Roman lands of Thrace. If you will notice, this deal is almost the same as the original one agreed to by Valens and Fritigern when the Goths first crossed the Danube. Upon Valens's arrival at Adrianople, he received Fritigern's diplomat and another messenger, this one from his co-emperor Gratian. The messenger stated that Gratian's army was only a day's march away. This terrified Valens as he wanted to claim all the glory of a victory over Fritigern's Goths. The message of peace from Fritigern's priest only made Valens more certain that he should attack the Goths at once. Valens took Fritigern's offer of peace as a sign of weakness and refused it out of hand. The only end to this conflict that Valens would accept would be one with a glorious battle. So early the next day, August the 9th, 378, Valens and his army left the walled security of Adrianople and began a lightning speed march towards the Goths, who were about 15 miles from the city. The Romans marched all day under the beating sun, and by the time the Gothic wagon logger came into view, the entire Roman army was weary. There would be no time for rest, though, as Valens ordered the lines to form up in combat formation. The Roman cavalry was positioned on the army's wings, with the infantry in the middle, Though Valens was still confident, the situation was not as good as he had believed. The Goths were not weak like he had thought, and were actually strongly fortified in their wagon logger atop a hill, which would be difficult to assault, as the Romans would have to fight uphill. The number of Goths was also larger than the estimated 10,000. There were at least 12,000 Gothic warriors, and perhaps as many as 20,000. Still smaller than Valens's army of between twenty-five and 30,000, but the margin was thinner. When Fritigern was informed of the nearby presence of the Roman army, he grew worried. A large contingent of the Groithungian cavalry, personally led by Aletheus and Safrax, was still out foraging at a distance. Without that group's mighty steeds, the Roman cavalry would be much more difficult to stop. Fritigern had earlier sent a messenger to his Groithungia allies, ordering them to return to the wagon logger, but they had yet to appear. In response to the Romans forming their battle line, the Goths ordered themselves up in their battle line, and the two sides sort of just stood there for a while. Eventually, an excited group of Roman archers moved forward and attacked the Gothic line. This signalled the beginning of the battle, as the Roman infantry and the Gothic infantry clashed, with the Roman cavalry supporting on the wings. The situation worsened for the Romans as Aletheus, Safrox, and the entire Groithungi cavalry contingent appeared on their right. Immediately, the horsemen sprang into action and crashed into the right wing Roman cavalry like a bowling ball into pins. Before long, the entire Roman cavalry force on the right wing had fled the field. In the infantry battle, the scene was described as the movement of a tumultuous sea, with rough waves crashing into each other, with both sides being pushed back and forth. This would go on for hours until the Greythungian cavalry pulled back, almost to the wagons. The Roman cavalry remaining on the field, sensing weakness, pursued the Greythungian cavalry. This would prove to be a reckless move, as the Roman cavalry was surrounded and crushed. The few remaining Roman horsemen fled the field of battle, and thus the Roman infantry in the middle was unprotected on every side. The Roman infantrymen, we now sitting ducks for the Grathian cavalry, the Goths were quick to take advantage of this, and the Gothic cavalry wings crashed into the undefended sides of the Roman infantry from here on out, the battle turned into a slaughter. over two-thirds of the Roman army present on the field was destroyed. A mass rout of what was left of the Roman forces commenced around nightfall, and even Emperor Valens himself was wounded as Valens's army crumbled and washed away. His bodyguards transported him to a small house near the battlefield. The Goths, high on their victory, were still giving chase to the Romans, and set alight the house, not knowing that the Roman Emperor was within its wooden walls. Valens did not survive, and just like that, passed into the afterlife with his once formidable army. Fritigern was victorious, and the Western Roman Emperor, Gratian, upon hearing of his co-emperor's defeat and death, turned his legions around And fled back west, leaving Fridigern's forces unchallenged for dominance in the Balkan provinces again. The Roman historian Ammianus Marcellinus mentions that with the spread of the news of the Roman defeat, the Gothic populations of cities throughout the Roman East were killed by vengeful citizens and Roman officials. The great Roman defeat at Adrianople is often pinpointed by historians as the beginning of the end of the greatest empire that ever was. One hundred years later, even the great capital city, Rome, would be ruled by Germanic barbarians. How the battle should be viewed in the Gothic timeline is a bit different. While the Roman armies of the East had been crushed, Fritigrn's position did not change wildly. He still led an under-resourced, ragtag band in enemy territory. So after their post-battle victory lap, the Goths just kept doing what they had been doing, trying to survive. Back to the story. The Goths heard rumors of great Roman treasures that lay within the walls of Adrianople, treasures that had been brought to the city by Valens and his army before the great battle. The Goths could not pass up this opportunity, and the elite of Fritigern's Goths began frothing at the mouth with the thoughts of precious jewels and gold. Fritigern himself was reluctant to attack the well-fortified city. Just the year before, His army had failed to take the city and suffered great casualties at the hands of Roman artillery and archers, though the gold lust of his chiefs proved too strong, and Fritigern was forced to take his armies outside the walls of Adrianople and begin an assault on August 10th. This play for the city proved as successful as the first, and after a few days, the army was forced to give up the siege. Someone then had the bright idea to go and attack Constantinople, which Fritigern equally opposed and which failed equally miserably. The mirrored failure of the post-battle of Adrianople Gothic army to its pre-battle self to take any fortified cities in Thrace or the Balkans at large shows that the situation was still the same. They did not hold control over the land and were still barely able to feed themselves. The food situation grew so bad that the army disbanded yet again. Gothic bands now not only roamed Thrace, but the other provinces of the balkans yet this increased the expanse of territory for plundering cannot be taken as any sort of victory as just beyond every burnt field or small village stood a big roman city with big roman walls that the goths could not take adding to the goths poor situation was valens' successor the goths were likely disheartened to see the raising of the capable general theodosius to the imperial purple theodosius and his father, had both served successfully as generals in the service of previous emperors, and this experience gave Theodosius an idea of how to deal with the Goths. According to the Encyclopedia of Military History, Theodosius sent small mobile contingents of soldiers into Thrace to begin the process of containing Thridigern's Goths. These Roman units were remarkably successful and held the line while Theodosius rebuilt the eastern Roman army. Alatheus and Safrax's Groithungi rode into Pannonia, but were soon after defeated by a western Roman army. In 380, Emperor Gratian settled these horsemen in the same province. The light terms of the peace between the Romans and the Groithungi could have been made so that other Goths would be less likely to join forces with Fridegrin's group. This sent the message that peace and prosperity were possible only with Roman friendship. Many Goths quickly joined Theodosius's resurrected eastern army, and our sources even say that a relative of Athanaric joined up with Theodosius' army so that he could fight against his family's long-hated enemy, Fritigern. As this was going on, Fritigern led his own army into Roman Macedonia, only to find the rebuilding Roman army there. A small Roman defeat occurred, and Theodosius was actually almost captured by Fritigern, though the Goths' luck was not to last and Emperor Gratian sent a Western Roman army to reinforce Theodosius, who then pushed Fritigern northeast into Moesia or Thrace. From here on, the Roman advance slowed, and it proved difficult for the Romans to dislodge Fritigern. Theodosius was growing tired of this Gothic problem, though he soon received a letter that shocked him. Athanaric, the once proud judge of the Tervingi, who swore an oath to never set foot on Roman land, was asking Theodosius for asylum. The astounded emperor readily accepted the wayward prince into the empire and met him in Constantinople in late 380 or early 381. The one-time youthful enemy of Rome was now an old and disheveled man. It was clear that he posed no threat to the empire. He relayed his story to Theodosius of how he had been forced to flee Calcaland, where he had settled after the Hunnic invasion of the Terevingian realm. It turned out that Theodosius' enemy, Fridigern, had conspired with other gothic princes in Calcalan to launch a coup against Athenarig and to remove him from power. Theodosius knew that accepting this old goth as a friend of Rome would be great propaganda for his image as a brainer of peace. Athanaric lived well in Constantinople for a month before he died peacefully of natural causes. Theodosius threw him a spectacular funeral. The Gothic bands still wandering throughout Thrace and Moesia heard of Athanaric's treatment and craved it. There was only one problem: there could be no peace between Theodosius and Fritigern. There could be peace between the Goths and Theodosius, but not between the Emperor and an Emperor slayer. That's just not allowed. Fritigern was intelligent though, and managed to hold on to power until three eighty two when he finally died in battle against the Romans. After the death of possibly the greatest Gothic leader for centuries, Fridegrin's former followers were ready to sue for peace. Theodosius was just as eager, and so in 382, Theodosius and the Goths of the late Fridegrin signed a treaty in which the Goths would become federates of the Roman Empire. Similar to previous agreements, the Goths would be obliged to provide military assistance to the Empire, though what was different was that this treaty stipulated that the Goths would be allowed to settle within the empire, specifically within Thrace, and maintain their own power structures and culture. Wow, can you believe that? Peace has returned, and the Goths have their own fancy setup within the Roman Empire. Of course there are other Goths, such as those settled in Pannonia, the group in Coquelin, and the majority, who were under Hunnic suzerainty. But now, we have a group of Goths within the borders of the Roman Empire. Not only that, but this federate group of Goths is also Christian, unlike those still north of the Danube. This religious conversion from the old Gothic religion to the quote-unquote Roman religion, Christianity, symbolizes the future of the Goths. It will be one of change, adaptation, and migration. In fact, what is coming after the 382 Peace Treaty Is often referred to as the Roman period of the Goths by historians. To be honest, this has been a difficult part of Gothic history to tell because of its transitive nature. The era of Tervingi and Groithungi is over, and soon we will hear the proud names Visigoth and Ostrogoth, but we're not there yet, which is why I've relied so heavily on distinctions like Fritigrn's Goths. I hope it's not too confusing to follow, and if it isn't, Then I'll see you next time. So until then, you've been listening to the History of the Goths.